Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. Who are you? I'm back. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jazza John. <laughs> and each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is queer, queer iconic. iconic. Ooh. Ooh. We're running out of genres shush, that we haven't done already. Don't let the people know. <laughs> we are releasing this in the run-up to Christmas, and you will realise that we aren't covering what I think is the only LGBTQ plus holiday movie released this year, A Holiday I Do, because we don't want to, and are instead reviewing the best teen satire released this year, Bottoms, because Rowan has been away and we wanted to do something we both liked for the first episode back after a long time of absence. So I'm... Very happy to be here with you, Rowan, to be making a podcast with you again. Rowan, I have missed you. I would like the world to know that Jazza, at this point in the little intro script, has put Rowan says something incredibly heartfelt and beautiful around about yeah. Jazza. <laughs> yeah, in, I imagine in the hopes that I won't or like the assumption that I'm just not going to. Basically, here's the sitch gang. I was off because of a sudden family illness and subsequent bereavement. And Jazza has been singularly incredible covering everything on the podcast like really just stepped up in an amazing way and I'm very thankful and they are an extremely special person and I think it is a show of their like wonderfulness that that was something that they immediately kind of picked up and ran with and was ready to like take off my plate so actually Jazza you are great cool oh how the tables have turned huh <laughs> Thank you so much for those really kind and thoughtful words, Rowan. That is also in the script and was clearly written to be ironic because Jazza thought that I would make a joke. I just want everyone to know that I do have emotions and that I can be serious. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have ruined this whole flow. Mm -hmm. Thanks, mate. I'll do anything for you. So before we get into it, Ro, Rowan, Ro, Ro, what's the gayest thing that you have done recently? I finished the first draft of a queer YA novel. Well, hey, I did uh -huh. it in Bournemouth, which isn't necessarily very gay, but I think that's oh, the flavor. Oh, Bournemouth is really gay. Oh, and which they have, they have the best named gay bar I think I've ever come across, which is called DYMK, which stands for Does Your Mother Know? Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mm -hmm. get to go to DYMK, but I got to... It's where the girls, friends of the pod, when over and Olympia um, are often, are often oh, seen. Amazing. Yeah. No, I got a special delivery, delivery, not sponsored, sadly, by oh. this gourmet mash restaurant. And we had... <laughs> I was with two friends and they were like, what meal do you want to celebrate? And I looked through the whole of the delivery app and went, this gourmet mash, please. And it was great. <laughs> What makes the mash gourmet? Here's the thing: I don't actually think the mash was that gourmet. Not to, oh. not to, you know, diss this this place. It was it was pretty good mash, but it was with, with like charred sweet corn and southern fried chicken and gravy. So mm. it was mm. it was ten out of ten. Oh, uh, like southern like style mash, like that kind of. Yeah, stuff except the like. gravy wasn't southern style gravy. It was simply gravy. So it was. Oh, it was just bisto. Yeah, it was just bisto, but it was good. So I'll take it. How about you, Jazza? What's the the gayest stuff you've been doing recently? So my parents are visiting New York where I live um, mm -hmm. for Christmas mm -hmm. for the holidays. Oh, cute. And I took them to see the Gay Men's Chorus Holiday Show That yesterday. is very gay. Was it good? Yeah. We were sat front row, <gasps> centre. My A drag queen came up and pulled my mum out of her seat and danced around with her. 
which my mum did not enjoy very oh, much. Oh, love, yeah. She was just like, I had my treat between my legs. I didn't know what to do. But it was very, very cute. They were very sweet. They really enjoyed it. The Game Men's Chorus did a fantastic job, as always. They're the best they've ever sounded. The two times that I have heard them <laughs> perform. And it was, it had a really wonderful, wonderful gay old time. Aww. So it was very good. Make the yeah, Yuletide energy. gay indeed. Very cute. Which was the th- also their theme. That makes sense. That does take- There's only so, I feel like that's the really low hanging fruit of the gay Yuletide puns. But I, mm-hmm. I lap it up every time. It probably one of the reasons why we had all of the gay holiday movies ever made in the last two years. And they just can't anymore. They've run out. They've run out. Wonderful. In this episode, we'll first be talking about the queer teen movie genre of which we have covered a few on this podcast and speaking a little bit about the lesbian cheerleader trope too. We will then be splitting this films as we usually do into three acts for your convenient consumption. Of course, we're going to be including the party earnest aftermath as we always seem to do, even when there isn't a party, before giving the movie a score, our patented scoring system using the six-barred rainbow flag. We are going to be spoiling all of this movie. So this is for people who have seen the movie or don't care about the movie being spoiled. You should go and watch this movie. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I think, spoiler, we really love this film. It's great. So without further ado, let's put down our copies of Divorced and Happy and watch Bottoms. So one of the reasons that this episode is called Queer Iconic is because, frankly, we're running out of things to call gay teen movies. Our first ever episode was Queer Teen Trash. I feel like every other teen queer movie that we have done could have also been called Queer Teen Trash. So we've just done meditations on each of those or variations of that broad genre. But here is the rundown of all of the queer teen movies that we have done. It is GBF. We've done But Am I Cheerleader. We've done Do Revenge. We've done Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We've done Assassination Nation. We've done Love, Simon. And then I'm also, like, it's not really high school movies, but stuff like They Slash Them, I'm going to include in this. And of course, Camp, which was the last episode we did with David Levitt. And then we've also done our Heartstopper special episodes. And then the queer teen genre is just absolutely everywhere. It feels like it's incredibly profitable because why wouldn't they keep on making these things although they are cancelling them as well we'll maybe talk about that but what's happening here rowan you're the media expert Hmm. am i right in perceiving this as the coming of age story is like a common trope in movies is a common way of being able to tell the stories that we want to tell in movies and the queer experience is something that people come into in that kind of like teen age and it kind of like brings up really useful interesting storytelling devices that you can have in a classical queer kind of like coming out story a self-realization there very often is like a secret being held and then the secret gets exploded it lends itself very nicely to kind of like a traditional narrative is that why there are so many gay teens so okay one that like quite literally are a lot of gay teens like increasingly every generation more and more people seem to be identifying as queer in some way um, it's a trend Rowan. it's a big it's trend really, the kids are really into it so and, cool. and so if you're trying to appeal to an audience and you want to kind of reflect their own experiences back to them and have especially i think with a younger audience and a teen audience they very quickly can feel like they tap into things that don't sound like them or don't are kind of like aged in terms of we wouldn't do that or say that or this is just the wrong sort of vibe I guess for lack of a better word mm-hmm. and so I do the vibes are off 
I believe the vibes are off. Yeah, that's what the kids the say. Kids would yeah, say. yeah. And so I do think that there is that element there of just literally the demographic changing. But I do also think that I I did like a whole video essay, classic me, about the <laughs> coming out narrative. But I think when when in doubt, write an hour long video. Yeah, essay. literally, that's, and I yeah, and it's yeah, exactly yeah. that response. of the idea of like the coming out fitting into this traditional narrative structure but i think very very particularly that it's not necessarily an authentic coming out that fits into that narrative structure i think it's a fictionalized version of the coming out narrative sure it's like Mm -hmm. an idealized version often or a neatened version because realistically people don't just come out once within these movies that have coming out as part of their narrative the coming out is almost always in the first or the third act so either it's the Mm -hmm. impetus like the first thing that happens the inciting incident that like drives the drama because there is some kind of negative response to the coming out or it's in the third act because it's like the self-actualization journey of the character was to have this big coming out moment and then they'll be forever happy afterwards. That's all they needed to like overcome their barriers. And I think both Mm -hmm. of those are like maybe a little bit too simplistic for the type of relationship to coming out and coming out narratives that we now have. Mm -hmm. And so what I do think we've seen, which we see with this movie is a lot of queer narratives where the coming out has happened before the start of the movie or the tv show where there's someone who is just gay or bi or trans or whatever and that is something that has the coming out has happened before we we join them and this movie i think is interesting because you also have real sexuality realizations within it for some characters but then other characters are already out and there's like a real mix there where it doesn't become mm-hmm. a coming out narrative but that self-exploration is not sort of cut off from these characters because of that yeah it's a real the kind of Gen Z thing, I feel like there's been this slew of I'm thinking specifically all the way through bottoms, I was thinking about Do Revenge mm. and how kind of like tonally similar it is. Kind of like aesthetically, it's similar. There's this kind of like way of writing that I really like in, in some of these recent kind of like teen high school comedies where you have like these little quips, Jeff, the kind of like himbo foil of this whole movie is a really fantastic example of that. Like he, despite being a movie that is primarily about kind of like queer women trying to get laid, I think that the straight himbo has the best lines in the movie, but it has kind of like a load of these like really self-aware, sarcastic kind of comedic lines that are peppered throughout the whole thing. And it's very knowing. Mm -hmm. It's moved so far away from any kind of realism and actually, I I really, really see in a lot of this the influences, especially of But I'm a Cheerleader, I think runs like a stick of rock through all of these more recent kind of like queer teen movies and teen movies in general. Hyper-stylized. Um, kind of like fantastical. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And even kind of like the bodacious acting and choices that the directors are making in terms of how to portray these characters you can see the influences of stuff like but i'm a cheerleader there and i think i've just like very few of the movies that look like this and borrow from this and i think as well once you understand that that's what it's doing you're not going into it expecting one of the maybe 2000 style teen movies clearly i only know things from the late 90s Mm -hmm. and early 2000s But for me, one of the quintessential standard teen movies is 10 Things I Hate About You. And it feels, apart from kind of like a band playing on the roof of this like really posh school, it feels really true to life. They're going for realism there. And that feels like a lot of like the early 2000s cinema, even stuff like the X-Men 
they were wearing kind of like combat suits and not all of their like all of their costumes from the comics and the cartoons like everything was like well what if the x-men were real and they go for with your like utilitarianism rather than the fantasticism that we're seeing in so much more media at the moment. I think those movies of that era often pushed a level of earnestness where they basically went as earnest as they could without feeling like they would make teenagers cringe. Like the same with Mean Girls, the same with Clueless. Like there's always a sense of like the genuine about it. And I think it's really like one of the things we'll talk about this with this movie is like how just irredeemably fucking the worst some of these characters are in a way that does feel like yeah like teenagers who just have no concept of anyone outside of themselves and i do enjoy movies and tv shows that take characters like that and allow them to go through a character arc because it feels like more earned and more interesting to me than just being like this is a character who functionally is lovely and great and very little things are wrong. And if there's something wrong, it's external. And they're a good mm-hmm. character, so you can root for them the whole way through. It's very easy to watch. I like the idea of there being these characters who are not perfect and have to actually learn shit that's difficult to learn. Imperfect. They're all terrible. Oh yeah, like not not great. Um, but yeah, I think that the idea, what you were saying about the quips, I think is really interesting because there's always been like an element of comedy to a lot of teen movies. Mm-hmm. I think that's always been the case. Like the teen movie is a comedy. Like that's kind of how it is. And if it's not a comedy, then it there's often debate as to whether it is a teen movie or not like it becomes a oh is this actually more of an adult movie about a teen like is it a bit too serious and the style of comedy in this is exactly how you said there's so many quips that are like delivered by background actors where clearly they've like made sure mm-hmm. within the sound edit to like make them audible but you could mm. miss them they're not like played for laughs in the way that they like leave a space for you to I laugh i always at it. miss them unless i have subtitles on mm-hmm. and as we know gen z watch everything with subtitles on so it's for them yeah exactly and mm-hmm. me i am a gen z i guess that's my no okay, I, can, I don't think i can possibly <laughs> possibly justify calling myself gen z no we just have adhd that's why that's true the- then the, the other bit of like context that i want to talk about very quickly is the trope of the lesbian cheerleader yeah. which Mm -hmm. this movie obviously has in spades because I am working on a video about this that came from me originally wanting to make a video around like queer teen movies and being like there is so much to say about them maybe we need to be more specific and Bottoms was this Mm -hmm. inspiration point of like is there anything going on in this like new movie that feels interesting to us and the whole lesbian cheerleader trope which we see obviously but I'm a cheerleader is a classic but it's used in Riverdale it's used in but I'm a cheerleader across the universe we have Glee, uh, obviously, yeah. Jennifer's body, which is interesting because she's like a color guard rather mm-hmm. than a cheerleader. But I think there's still an element to that. There's a bunch of like exploitation films from the 70s and 80s, Fear Street and Dare Me. The two TV shows also have lesbian cheerleaders. And I think mm-hmm. it is so fascinating because it is such a conversation around like these different archetypes of the teenager that have changed over the decades where there's an image of the cheerleader as like this pure 1950s style cheerleader, the all-American girl, which is more what but I'm a cheerleader leans into and uses Mm -hmm. that as a commentary on the innocence and purity of a lesbian character which feels very radical in a way that this is like this can be something sweet and romantic even as she is sexual she still is allowed to keep this innocence and that feels very special a very special part of that movie but you also Mm -hmm. have the cheerleader as sexual object And that is more of the like Santana from Glee style, where again, you could be using the cheerleader and the lesbian together to heighten the sexualization because it becomes like a porn category almost. But you have a lot of these spaces like, and I think this film is one of the ones that does that, where it's looking at the ways in which the sexualization is forced upon these characters and that Mm -hmm. actually that's not how they experience their own lives and their own perception of self, which I think is really interesting. 
So mm-hmm. look out for that, I guess. That'll be coming out at some point next month. But I think that as a trope is so specific, but it's been used so often that the more you pick at it, the more you start unraveling so many different connotations and like interesting histories. It's mm-hmm. very fun. Awesome. I can't wait to binge that and watch that. Shall we dive in and actually start talking about Bhutan's? Mm-hmm. So we open up like a good couple of bottoms to... <laughs> Illegal, Shazza. To PJ and Josie, are protagonists? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know why that was a question. They really are yeah, they protagonists. Are. I do think Hazel is the MVP in this cast. Though. Hazel and Tim are the ones who really move everything forward. But PJ and Josie are the ones who are taking us on this journey. It is a classic high school movie goal we've got a couple of lesbians and they want to get laid so they're getting ready to go out they're talking about getting the cooch getting the pussy getting wet josie and pj by the way played by ayo adabiri who was in the bear and rachel senot who has been in every movie now Mm. i think so uh, that's 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 statistically i just checked imdb true yeah Every yeah, movie. true. But but most most specifically, she was in Bodies, 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 mm-hmm. which we reviewed yeah. recently, and Shiva and Baby she as was well. Also, and Shiva Baby, which was also written by the director and writer for this movie, Emmy Seligman, and Rachel Senna also was a co-writer in this movie too. I have feelings about Rachel Senna. This is a very much a side note. But people are younger than us and more successful than us and better at things than we will ever be at the moment, and I'm starting to feel resentment i you know don't want to know how old is. she is i simply don't want to know and as i say Do that i can really see jazza calling up this woman's age yeah go on then tell me i have a feeling she's like 20 have a guess how old do you think rachel senate i mean i was kind of hoping she was my age but you're really the fact you've said the word 20 implies that she is in fact younger than both of us yeah, she is younger than both oh, of us. She is 28 years old. Oh, she was born in 1995. that's disgusting. But, you know, yeah, it's, all, it's gross. I hate it. All the six wishes of success to you, but also it is disgusting. Um, oh, no, I don't. I don't wish you any success. Can you stop, <laughs> please? Share a little bit. Thank you. So, yeah, uh, PJ and Josie are um, getting themselves ready and they're talking about how they're ugly, the bottom of the pile, nobody wants to sleep with us, blah, 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 blah. Um, They're untalented uh, gays, and that's the worst thing you can possibly be. And it is exactly what you were saying, Jazza, like such a classic setup for a straight teen mm-hmm. movie, but it's normally like right, the guys want to lose their virginity or whatever. Or like even Booksmart, yeah. this this really had the edge of Booksmart in terms of, you know, we're starting with these two friends, we're establishing their friendship, we know that they want to go crazy, like there's some you know, like party, sex, romance-based goal that they're going to have. And we go straight away also into a classic setting of the teen genre, which is the fair. The high school mm-hmm. genre, it's the fair. And this, by the way, is my act one. This is the party and it's aftermath oh. and it's just the rest of the thing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I've I've chosen a different act for that, but I'll take, I feel like... We'll oh, in- that is mm. interesting. Okay. Um, but essentially, we we start to play around with the genre really quickly. We get, for example, a classic slow-mo shot of like one of the girls' crush, iconic and obligatory. Yeah, right. And they specifically have crushes on these two popular girls who are like best friends and cheerleaders. And they mm-hmm. essentially are like, this is the year we're going to make this happen for us. And we are also introduced to our other character who is a main character, like a really key part of the actual narrative, but isn't these two characters where we are sort of introduced to the world through them. And that's Hazel, who Mm -hmm. is... Played by Ruby Cruz. Yes. Also, it's it's strange because it's 
like Hazel hangs around with them, but these other two very much have their own like two person friendship going on. And you, uh-huh. you can kind of see from the outside as an observer, the fact that Hazel is on the outside of this friendship, that she's not really properly included, but they also mm-hmm. are not ignoring her either and i think it's this really interesting dynamic that the movie then follows hazel quite closely when she's on her own or she's not with them and we start Mm. to see someone who like is probably got the most genuine intentions and like heart out of the people in this movie in a lot of ways and it's not that this is the lads 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 are the main characters and then you have this sweet innocent love interest who is the one they're trying to you know make a bet over or whatever like you would in a straight teen movie there is like a maybe hint of romance at the end but hazel isn't really played as the love interest character she's just like another friend which i thought was an interesting kind of twist on that my theory is this whole movie happens because of hazel every plot point is moved forward and created by the hazel character hazel mishears or believes that pj and josie went to juvie where josie killed a person hazel's mum is sleeping with isabel the cheerleader which is what causes josie the mum's not then... sleeping with the cheerleader jazza the mum's sleeping with the sorry, cheerleader's boyfriend the is... but it's sorry, sorry what a twist confusing. that would have been that would have been a twist that would have been better hazel's mum is sleeping with jeff the jock who is dating the cheerleader which breaks them up which then mm. causes that part of the plot to move forward and hazel also blows shit up and so is the best character in this movie fight me on yeah this. i genuinely have put up some point in my notes that i kind of would just like to have seen this movie but it was what it would have looked like if it was from hazel's point of view like specifically because i think that would have been very interesting also it's worth noting that i've put in my notes oh look it's america this fair is for a high school sports team i guess which feels very mm-hmm. american and yeah we're introduced to the sports team and specifically there are only two sports boys who are the focus of this movie one of them is jet who is the comedy gold the best one liners the best throwaway lines fantastic acting from nicholas Galitzini? Sure. Galitzine? Sure. Who plays the posh English boy because he's literally a prince in red, white and royal blue. Mm -hmm. So a friend of the podcast, Jordan Howard, put me onto the fact that this was the same person. I had no idea. (laughs) And the difference is so incredibly jarring of this characterization. I think he deserves an Oscar for playing both of those parts. I'm fascinated because I think he is English, right? Like, or he's not American, is he? Or maybe he is. Oh, God, I can't even. Yeah, keep. I actually think he's American. (gasps) Nicholas. So he was being fake british oh he's british he's mm-hmm. british i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah so, so i always think with stuff like this when you have someone in this random movie that you know had really low distribution of rights originally like how did this random british boy get to be in this movie you they just flew him out like come on boy i mean he was worth it an absolute mm-hmm. icon but we also have the first like direct interaction between the popular girl crushes and our main characters and it doesn't really go well i think one of them says that you look like a little dutch boy just truly yes oh. Brittany says to pj who is dressed in like it looks like a mini lederhose mm-hmm. like a uh, like a lederhose says you look like a little dutch boy and then pj tries to help out josie <laughs> and and he's like, oh, yeah, Josie thought that you looked nice, too. And then Josie goes, yeah, I was just thinking people are going to think that you're too skinny. You're a skinny mini. People are going to, like, send you to the doctor because they think you should eat. And it's just 
like digging and digging and digging. It's so good. It's like, I don't even think that the issue is that you're untalented or that you're unattractive. I think you just have zero riz. There's no game that like, it's embarrassing. It's just cringe. Like every time you open your mouth, I'm cringing. Hmm. Just truly terrible a disaster and then we get a scene that i really feel like crystallizes the style of the scripting and the like even as it is very stylized the sort of natural element in terms of the way in which friends talk to each other which is the bit where josie announces that she's packing up her vagina and is going to marry <laughs> a gay pastor Matthew, Matthew. yeah the the commitment to the bit is so appreciated because it's it's exactly how me and my friends talk to each other where you'll say something like well that's it i've given up i'm gonna marry a gay pastor because no one's gonna like you know question it i guess and then it cuts to later on when they've gone out of the fair and gotten into the car but she's still going she's still building Mm -hmm. this elaborate fantasy and it's that line that that i think i don't know if it's in the trailer or if it got clipped onto tiktok or whatever where she's like he's fruity everyone knows he's fruity and it's such (laughs) a like it just felt so intensely real to me not just the dialogue itself but just the concept of two friends who were just riffing off each other and doing silly voices and like committing to a bit and that to me, like that was the moment in this movie when I was like, yes, yes, I understand what's happening here. This is fun. This is my kind of thing. Yes, definitely. Hey, everybody. An ad read for you very quickly before we dive into the rest of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Ravensburger. Indulge in the timeless pleasure of assembling Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburger puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Enjoy a mindful moment and immerse yourselves in a world of captivating colours, stunning imagery and intricate designs that will delight people of all ages, regardless of your preference or skill level. You can find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery themes and piece counts available you can start super super small and work your way up to over forty thousand pieces which is a little bit bananas to me if you're up for that challenge then why don't you go and shop ravensburger on amazon if you like today we are also still supported by squarespace who can help you dear listener buy a domain and create a website We always talk about how much we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns, and connecting all of your social media presence in one place. The design features really do make everything more accessible when you're building a website. You don't need to know any coding whatsoever, and you can get all of your beautiful text and images aligned brilliantly so that you can make your website look very, very, very sexy. We know you hear a lot of your favorite media and podcasts and stuff offering discount codes, but we'd really 
appreciate it if you considered using ours. If you're putting together a website for like a campaign or a wedding or something along those lines, it would really help us out and keep the queer movie podcast going. So go to squarespace.com slash queer movie. And when you are ready to check out with your domain name and or your website, you can use the offer code queer movie to save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase. Remember to go to squarespace.com slash queer movie. Now, back to the show. So they're walking to the car, they get in the car, and then we see Isabel, one of the love interests, who is the cheerleader, and Jeff, who is not the cheerleader, Mm -hmm. but the himbo. Just the characterization of Jeff, it's so chef's kiss, and I also really fancy him. So she's angry about something. I can't even remember what it was. He's been flirting with the teacher, and he says it doesn't count because she's not in high school. Really setting up. We've we've got Chekhov's boy who sleeps with older women hanging over us. Chekhov's cougar. Chekhov's Chekhov's cougar is here, and it's about to. It's going to pay off later on. But yeah, she Josie essentially has a chance to offer Isabel a ride. Oh, is this going to be the moment when the love blossoms? There is the iconic line from Jeff. I'm sorry, I looked at Mrs. Riley and lightly grazed her left tit. And Jeff is just this massive baby big baby vibes and it's very interesting to me because it's I feel like we're often used to the idea of like this sort of alpha male boyfriend antagonist but he's really leaning into like the playing the victim energy of like realizing he gets more mileage out of being this like little little baby quarterback that's the star of the show Mm -hmm. and like everyone has to protect him and look after him because Mm -hmm. he's the one who matters the most and I really liked that idea of like creating a toxicity around this character but not relying on like the obvious archetype So they offer Isabella a safety ride and Isabel gets in the car. Then they try and leave and they move forward like half a foot and tap Jeff's knee. And (laughs) you say cracking up, but he goes, it's it's like the overacting of. And then he falls over as if he's just died. And then he's in crutches for like a little bit of the rest of the movie. But all of the rest of the team come running to his aid they're all obviously everybody even though this is a fair they're all in their football gear and they all run like leaping over cars like running up to him dramatically to save him and we've got our kind of like set up for how everything goes to shit when they actually return to school Mm -hmm. so at school we find Mm. out one that this is not some kind of queer utopia because there's literally faggot one and faggot two like on their lockers but also it's not this like devastation either that you might get if that happened in like other media they're so used to it they're joking about it it's a part of life Josie's like oh god I'm faggot two now oh my god not again and also everyone in the school now thinks that they beat up Jeff because he comes Mm -hmm. in with these crutches and they've heard now that they went to juvie and so it's become this whole mythos around them And before they can kind of figure out how they want to deal with all of this nonsense, the Tannoy basically announces, one, that Huntington, the rival team, has essentially assaulted a girl the night before at the Mm -hmm, fair. mm -hmm. And then the principal is making it all about the game and not the assault, which classic. Yeah. And I think this is a real indication that continues throughout this movie, that there are a lot of serious topics that are simply not taken seriously. But that's kind of the vibe the whole way through. Like the concept of this boy being preyed upon by this cougar woman we're just not we're not here for the discourse that's just like don't think yeah, about yeah, it just, just turn the, your brain that's off just the reality movie. don't worry too much um, about it this is also the point where it opens up like i started to pay attention a little bit more because i'm like oh this is going to be camp as fuck mm-hmm. because of one specific thing and it is Chekhov's topless student in a cage in the corner of the classroom where I was like why the fuck is that like nobody's going to address this it's literally just so that they can wheel out 
this guy into a scene later on and he bursts out of a cage and I'm like, oh, this is going to be more than just kind of like a realistic retelling of a couple of queer people in high school. This is going to try and be a little bit more. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I really like it as well. Also, I really appreciate this, this meta joke, which is I always talk about, which is I always say in, in American movies and TV shows, the teacher is always in the middle of a sentence when the bell rings and they're just like, mm -hmm. your homework is page 73. And they're all like leaving the classroom. Mm -hmm. And there's this like very meta joke that actually took me out where I think it's PJ goes, seriously, that's it. That's class. Because they start class at the beginning of the scene and it has been about three minutes and then the bell rings and it's like the class is over and she's like wait what the fuck like that's it and i was like oh god this is like too real but they essentially get called to the principal's office because the rumor mill is spinning and they're spinning the tale that these two have beaten up the star quarterback obviously the most important person who goes to the school and this situation absolutely escalates where instead of just being like we didn't do that and them being believed they sort of dig themselves a bigger hole. PJ at that point is like, maybe I should buy a gun to defend myself. We're so small. There was, <laughs> yeah. what could we do against this big man? The principal's like, we're going to have to expel you. And they essentially create together, vibing off each other in the most kind of unconvincing way that they are practicing for a self-defense fight club. And, you know... In, in defense of like the, the future, because the future football match, it's always been very violent, like literal violence, like people have died. And so this is a way to be able to m make sure that everyone is defended in the run-up to the, the Huntington football match. It's kind of, I think, actually, practically, this isn't seeded particularly well throughout the movie. But because of the way it ends, I do not care. Like, I'm definitely not, like, invested in this final football match or the way that it ends. It's just used as a device to have a massive fight scene at the end. But because of the joy that I have from watching that fight scene, I think it's totally okay. I'll let this pass. I'm just like, you know what? I'm suspending any sense of disbelief. I also do think that it is really interesting because you, this could have been a movie, if, if it had been from Hazel's point of view, exactly the same stuff could have happened and this could have had a completely different tone. Like the serious things could have actually been taken seriously because I imagine that there are people at the school who are, and, and a lot of them probably the girls who joined the fight club, who are having these conversations about like, how horrific is it that this girl was like assaulted? Like genuinely we need to do something about it. But because our point of view characters are PJ and Josie, who yeah. are just the worst, we are almost like seeing that lack of care, like, that's why we're not made to care is because they don't see it. So we're only able to see what they are seeing and what they're seeing is just whatever they care about in that moment. So they end up deciding, oh, we're actually going to make this club with the help of Hazel. Hazel, I feel like, is every friend who is the organiser with the colour-coded spreadsheet and actually ends up advertising this. PJ and Josie really, well, it's mainly PJ. PJ just, does just see this as an opportunity to meet hot girls mm -hmm. and I fully support that. They end up doing their first session the myth of juvie is doubled down on and we see josie punch pj in the face and pj gets up from being punched to the floor and it has just an absolutely massacred nose and then the next day she says hey it was brilliant i've never had so many girls look at me with her like broken nose band-aid and like a black eye on her just looking face. so tough Fantastic. and cool yeah and pj i will stress at this point is not actually that sort of convinced about the fight club that she herself has really pushed for because in her words what the fuck these girls are ugly she the people who have turned <laughs> yes. up are not the people she wanted to turn up which is not fun but what they do realize is that they need a staff advisor right they need someone on staff who's actually going to be able mm -hmm. to legitimize this club enter mr g 
honestly an iconic name for a teacher. Summer Heights High uses it as well. Some of the best, yes. Some of the best uh, teachers are called Mr. G. And he's a history teacher. And like we're introduced to him in a classic like payoff way of them being like, but what teacher would be stupid enough to sign off on a fight club? Cut to Mr. G saying, the Holocaust, it happened. And then a student raising his hand (laughs) and him pointing going, it did happen. And I'm like, yes, there we go. Okay, cool. And so we have this staff advisor even better, Hot Jess, one of the cheerleaders over here, the club was empowering and decides that she wants to join. And they persuade the teacher by being like, actually, you can be an ally. You, mm-hmm. You're an ally to women if you join this club, but as an advisor, but also what if you never turned up? What if you did not check in on us? I think the quote is my favorite way to be an ally. You say you'll do something and then you don't do any of those things. And that was stunning. And he was like, wow, yeah, that makes so much sense. Which leads into the classic, we knew it was going to happen, Fight Club montage series of mm-hmm. scenes yeah. where and this is my this is my act two, by yes. the way, as soon as they get Mr. G on board. And I've called act two, the first rule of Fight Club is listen. Yep, I also got it. <laughs> it was really, they, they were actually honestly quite restrained with the Fight Club rule. They didn't signpost that a lot, but I was like, there was actually only two rules and it was listen and be on time. And be on time yes. really seemed to be the key the key rule here, they really emphasized it. And there was a classic bit of physical comedy where they're going on and on about how important it is to be on time because PJ simply does not care about these girls because she doesn't want to fuck them. Mm-hmm. And as she's saying how important it is to be on time and how half of them are already late, in come hot girls. And then suddenly she's like, oh, that's fine. I was actually talking about being on time next time. You actually get a pass this time. Come on in, come on in. I have put here, I think there will be a serious third act moment. This is my prediction that someone is going to get assaulted and won't be able to help themselves. There will be a moment where someone who's in the fight club will be in an actual situation of violence. And because of the lack of genuine learning that they're doing in this apparent fight club, will be ill-prepared for what is going to happen to them, which does happen. Which is which is why we can't watch things together. Yeah, because I predict what's going to happen. Very, There's so many everything. predictions in this thing where I'm like, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Watch everything as if I have just been born. Mm-hmm. And I'm so I overly invested in absolutely every moment. Oh, it's so great being this dumb. The thing that is so the the thing about this movie as well that is just so unhinged is the fact that they just get seem to get better at Fight Club by just simply doing more fight. There is no sense of like, Mm -hmm. and then we looked up some videos on YouTube to figure out the best way of doing things, or we hired a teacher, we raised money to get someone in who know. No, they just keep fighting, and eventually they get better at fighting because they keep fighting. Yeah, who needs theory when you have? punchy mm-hmm. um there is one part of this montage that i really really like which is where we cut to mr g and he's doing a class on history feminism and it says feminism who started it? a gloria Steinem. b a man c another woman stunning beautiful absolutely amazing um we also start ally. to get seeded <laughs> what an ally um we also get to start to get seeded hazel's mum who is going to be important a little bit further down the line and hazel actually ends up deciding or saying that well maybe aside from like it's great that we're punching each other and getting much better but what if we get to know these people and kind of like create a community i think we're really creating a community here and PJ goes, yeah, I love talking about my trauma. I just have to jerk off every time I get out of therapy. And so they decide to do kind of like a little sharing circle with one another. We do, before they do the sharing circle, though, get warned by the henchman of Jeff, Tim. Tim. 
great character mm-hmm. name. Love it. I also really fancy it. Why do of I like Jocks? It's a real problem. He says, well, I'm really concerned that you're taking focus and, and attention away from what is really important, which is the big game. Yeah, obviously. And so that storyline is seeded there. So yeah, there's a, there, there is a scene in which PJ falls onto Britney. <laughs> yes, yes. I and this. it's the classic, like, we're fighting and then we fall on top of each other. And I've just put fight then fall on top of each other are these gay men because that is the classic trope that you see all of the time where men gay men in movies can't kiss each other unless they've just like had a little rough and tumble first what do you mean Rowan? that's what real gay sex is that's cringe jazz that's embarrassing nut up just kiss your boy yeah of course it is classic you also the line where hazel is saying we should get to know each other and like this should be about solidarity if we keep this up we can make a difference and pj says if we keep this up we can put our fingers inside of each other grow up just (laughs) the just the dialogue in this movie is, is so stupid it's so unhinged and i feel like if you let go of the idea that gay characters need to be good people in any way shape or form it opens up so many possibilities. <laughs> this is what happens. This movie is what happens. In the sharing circle, a couple of the best people are like sharing. There's this one character who just keeps on screaming, yes, Slay Queen. Yes, yes, Slay Queen. For some reason. And then <laughs> opens their confessional with, so like everybody knows about the problems with my dad. And then everybody just goes, aha, huh, huh. Nobody knows. Nobody knows about on. the situation with the stepdad. Nobody has any clue. Um, and then it turns out the situation uh, is actually the this character really doesn't like the fact that he wants to, he's trying to be nice and like do Friday film nights and like, but then we also have this casual like mentioned by this other girl that she has a stalker who's threatening to kill her. (laughs) And and it's just such a ridiculous, like all of them just saying this stuff as if it's completely normal, which to them it is this idea of like, it's this very sort of undidactic version of being like rape culture am i right what a wild what a wild drug yeah. mm-hmm. but hazel starts opening up and pj immediately is like i want to bring this back to britney real quick like there's a real yeah. sense and i feel like this is also hazel really starting to appreciate what previously i'm sure she had noticed but this is like really hitting home just how selfish pj mm-hmm. is and to some extent josie but pj is kind of mainly the person the pj in especially is awful yeah and then um, we get josie going like real method actor and giving us some juvie law where she's talking mm-hmm. about like having to fight people every single night and the hazing and the tributes and the bets. And I was like, is she just doing, the plot, of, is she just doing the plot of but the they Hunger Games? Because <laughs> yes. you talk about he- tributes and people <laughs> yes. betting on the fights and we had to fight to survive and she killed someone. And I'm like, babe, that's the plot of the Hunger Games. I was really expecting it to be like, she would be like, and there was this little girl, Rue, she died yeah. in my arms. <laughs> like, I really thought it was going there. But yeah, essentially, this is where we also get, this is where I actually had the break into act two, which is where we get the reveal that Hazel's mum has a really hot divorcee robe, which I really liked. And it turns out she's wearing it because she just fucked Jeff. Who mm-hmm. then ends the I, scene by saying, Mrs. Callahan, can I have a snack? And I, yes, I just so much. Oh God. And I feel like we could talk these, about these one liners that Jeff has, like there's just like little moments, those pieces that we've talked about that are kind of like they're loud enough to be heard, but they are so quick that you will miss them. Like there's bits of it where Jeff is doing football practice, scores a touchdown, raises his hands and goes, Jeff. Yep. And there's another one where they're having kind of like this quick conversation when eventually his girlfriend comes and breaks up with him. And he, there's kind of like a to and fro and he's accused of not knowing math. And he's like, how am I going to understand math? How am I going to answer that? I don't know how, to, I don't even know how to read. And just kind of like these really quick little lines that are just absolutely outstanding. But Hazel at a 
a car washing fundraiser that they have tells PJ and Josie that Jeff is cheating on Isabel with her mum. And Josie then uses that because she goes on kind of like this friend date with Isabel and shares that information. And we see Isabel have a little bit of a little bit of a breakdown. Mm -hmm. Really, really sad. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, goes into the cafeteria to break up with him. We at this point, I have written down Chekhov's pineapple because we find out that Mm, Jeff is allergic to pineapple. So I'm like that bitch is going to get is going to accidentally eat some pineapple or drink some pineapple something's going to happen with pineapple there's so many things in the background of this movie that also are unhinged and i love them so i want someone to just clip every single little tiny like flyer or thing in this school which is about jeff because jeff is sitting yes. at this table with like a sistine chapel style mural in the background of him and god mm-hmm. and incredible so he obviously denies cheating on her this time because he's definitely cheated again and i believe what he says is i would never cheat on you again hazel's like i literally saw you in my house and he says shut up nerd i fucked your mom yes thereby really implicating himself in in the very thing he was denying and then classic bad bitch walk from isabel where she's like i'm gonna fuck up some football players and buy a gun yeah hazel let's do terrorism like go 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 they decide that they're going to basically do some kind of sick revenge on jeff by going black ops up to his house while he listens Mm. to total eclipse of the heart and then they just do a very grown-up eggs and toilet roll his house which is not the like and they don't they they're not able to throw high enough because his his house is so big like it's this massive kind of like mansion they can't TP his house because they can't throw the toilet roll high enough to get over his house, which is fantastic. But then Hazel is the one who does the terrorism, tries to set the timer for 15 minutes and actually sets the timer for 15 seconds and then blows up Jeff's car. But so they got a Because he was going to get a new one anyway. And this also interrupts the a maybe potential kiss between Josie and Isabel who are keeping watch, but the explosion interrupts a conversation where... Isabel genuinely says the line, I really value when people use violence and raise their voices for me. It's actually one of my love languages, which is like the biggest red flag of like, girl, you're in danger. Like, no, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. But again, it's like all of these things that if you were to have had the movie from Hazel's point of view, would have been these like quite serious, like it would have turned into, what's that movie like Moxie? Like one of those movies about like how tough it is to be a girl in this world and all this stuff. Whereas like, this movie just ignores all of the implications of anything bad in this entire movie, other than the badness of PJ not getting laid. We also, post-bomb, have mm-hmm. this subplot around Tim constantly trying to, like, suss them out. He is trying to trying to blackmail them. He's trying to figure out their secrets. And there is a huge fight between Hazel and PJ where PJ says, you have no friends and a skank as a mum. So, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh boy, is Hazel going to, like, out all of pj's bullshit and lies and everything but she just leaves there's like she's just been a good person i guess even though i would say she would would be entirely justified and it 100 yeah all seems like that lack of the truth coming out in that moment means that isabel and josie are on a date at josie's house like pj gets to go on this little like study date with Brit yeah. in her huge bedroom so it's like PJ and Josie finally get a chance to get to shoot their shot um, to hit with their shot the are you a sportsman girls. they're gonna hit their balls they wish and we see the split where Isabel and Josie's date actually does go well and there is uh, fade to black sex happening whereas mm-hmm. Brit essentially is like 
I'm straight and PJ I'm so like, sorry I gave you I gave you the wrong impression. Oh, yeah, cool. Amazing. Great. This is where I go into act 3 because this is the homecoming in its aftermath. Oh, nice. Mine is a little bit later. Yeah, it's because you um, you weren't having to shoehorn in the homecoming as part the, of Act Three, that, so that you yeah. could call it the homecoming in its aftermath. So that's understandable. Correct. Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. That makes let's sense. call it that. I also don't think it's a homecoming. I think it's like a hype assembly. I keep on calling this Isn't assembly, that but that's not what Americans call it. Pep rally. No. Is it a pep rally? A pep rally. A pep, it's pep a pep rally, rally in its aftermath. Yes. I understand yes. Americans and their culture. Taking the time to understand the culture in which I now reside. Thank you. Um. So we have essentially at this point the classic big public humiliation part of every good teen movie where mm. the gals, they debrief on their kisses. The cheerleaders basically go up to do a cheer routine, except all they do is pour water over themselves and then that's it. Yes. <laughs> and then to go, be like yeah. sexual objects. Yeah. And then Tim jumps on the mic and starts airing all their shit about the fact that they did not go to like, oh yeah, we should have the, a demonstration from the amazing fight club. Hazel's going to come down here and clearly he is like, gotten to hazel infiltrated like knowing that there is kind of bad blood happening within the club and has told hazel we're gonna get pj down here for you to fight and you can basically beat her up for what she's done except instead he's like hazel will be fighting the school's number one boxer big burly man in a cage a cage person from before and she doesn't do terribly in the fight she does really, really she does well. very well but she does ultimately lose and so tim as- and get absolutely like whack oh yeah like, like she's like football on the punted she in like the face absolutely yeah. down as i predicted i remember watching this in the cinema for the first time and very well predicted so good much. job well done when i saw this in the movie theater with people there was genuinely when she got kicked in the face everyone gasped like loud audible gasps it was awful mm-hmm. <laughs> really terrible and i and it was that was like the thing when i was predicting it, i was like there has to be an element of reality to it not necessarily in the like violence which can be like hyper violence or whatever but in her genuine fear and reaction which did happen and i think that is why it works is there's mm-hmm. a real sense of like wait what the fuck like what is happening because it's not just the idea of like this is happening because of their actions but the fact that she is unable to even attempt to defend herself in a way that they would have if they had legitimately been teaching these girls who fully believe that they're being taught like actual self-defense which i think is really interesting but yeah essentially he basically is like they didn't go to juvie and also they didn't start the club to empower women they really did it to fuck cheerleaders and then he goes we were really rooting for you girls i don't think you were i think that's actually a lie but again like all of the club go over to help hazel because all the characters other than pj and josie are genuinely have bonded like they genuinely are and you know that they're spending time together outside of pj and josie like there's a whole complex lives that these girls have that pj and josie just do not care about which and we see that when we see hazel recovering as well like all of the rest of the club are still hanging out Mm -hmm. together without josie and pj and so we get the aftermath of this which is to an incredible avril lavigne soundtrack the montage of a sad unpopular hallway vibe even the janitor who used to wash their lockers of slurs now hates them damn that's pretty bad mr g cancels the slur now says horny freak number one and two by the way as it should mr g cancels feminism as he should 
Jeff mm. wins Isabel back. It's not looking good, man, I believe is an exact note that I put down. But yeah, all of the other girls are like having a watch party with Hazel, keeping her company. Like, again, a totally different movie from the point of view of people who aren't assholes. And then we get an interesting little interlude scene that is like nevertheless very important, which is with Rhodes, who has been mentioned mm-hmm. once before in the movie, was a babysitter that both PJ and Josie had, who was like their gay Yoda who we realize absolutely this is gay Yoda, oh my God. should not have been giving these girls advice because I believe she says, invest in yourself, teach people to fear you, not love you. It feels like her <laughs> advice probably wasn't that good, but it does provide some useful context about the Huntington games, about the fact that in the years past when these two teams have played each other, like genuinely people have died. And I've put, what is this, the purge? Essentially, yes, as I would soon find out, it is. It, it is actually a purge. This is my act three uh-huh. and I have named it who are these football players and why are we killing them? Mm, yeah. Because all of a sudden we're saving the antagonists. We're saving PJ and Tim and we're killing a load of random people that we've never met before. Mm, interesting, interesting. Like, I don't care that this wasn't set up well. I think this is my favourite end to a movie ever. It's just... Apart from maybe... Apart from maybe the Oreni Shii and B fight at the end of Kill Bill 1. Mm. Like, that's a great... That's a great ending as well. So what you're saying is every movie could be better if everyone just fought at the end. 100%. All this needed, actually, was samurai swords and it's the same scene. Yeah, that checks out. Like, check the tape. That checks out. I'm I'm not convinced that I mean there is a sword that appears in this scene. So there is a sword. Why is there a it's sword? It's all making sense. Someone gets literally skewered on a sword. Joe, I've put Josie tries to get PJ to get the Fight Club back together so they can save a footballer they hate. Why would they do that? To show people what they've learned, bitch. What did you learn? You didn't take any actual fight classes. Which I I stand by. But again, we're suspending our disbelief. But PJ apologizes to Hazel and they go to the big game and they're all trying to figure out like what is the deal? What's going on? There is We need no to stall one... the game. We need to stall the game. We need to stall it because there's no one in the Huntington stands. There's some kind of plan. We don't know what's going on. And Hazel is like, do you know what we can do that will solve this in some way? Make a bomb. <laughs> because apparently that's Hazel's like that's Hazel's sort solves of everything. hobby. That's Hazel's thing, like that she probably is like tried to monetize and and she's on a list somewhere but they basically are like we need to some kind of distraction and so they're panicking and they just start going get the cheerleaders to make out with each other kiss kiss each other and they're all there like no why we don't like you anymore remember that thing that tim did where he told us how you were the worst we're not going to do that you insane people and so huntington arrives they still haven't managed to distract people for some reason and then pj decides to kiss hazel as a distraction because that apparently is very distracting which i it's successful for a little bit which yeah which is strange i'm like why is this particularly maybe it's because they have been in the gossip rags of the school recently but everyone apparently is distracted by just two people kissing and we also get a really great line about there's a moment where you they don't even let you have a moment of thinking that britney is looking at this kiss and going wait I think I am gay or like I am bi. They don't, you don't even get that moment. You just see her and immediately mm-hmm. she goes, oh, I'm straight. I'm so straight. <laughs> you're like, great. And then the girl who has been this car model is like, wait, I'm gay. It's so good. And like also Brittany's like, I just like <laughs> watching gay porn. That's her. She's like, oh, that was and the And then Jeff is thing. like, this is... This isn't like porn at all. What, am I watching too much porn? 
And we finally also get the reveal of the pineapple juice that we knew was coming back. And essentially, there's just these vats of empty pineapple juice containers, which helpfully have a big sticker with pineapple juice written on it and a big pineapple. with Contains allergens. Yep. And with no logo on it, obviously, because they couldn't be like, this is dull pineapple juice about to kill a man. So they were mm-hmm. just like, here's the pineapple barrel. And they realize it's in the sprinkler system. So as soon as the boys get on the field, your man Jeff is going to get a mouthful of pineapple juice right to the tongue and he's going to die. die. He's going to do death. And so we got to warn Jeff. So they're running. But oh no, here comes Huntington and they're going to fuck you up. And so we got to do a fight. And at this point, Mm -hmm. all of my notes are capitalized and it's just unhinged random commentary about this fight. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Fight, 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 fight is my first one. Then it goes slow-mo baby. Then some guy just got skewered on a sword. Yes. Then Jeff just tried to kiss Josie. Lol, lol, lol. Oh my fucking God. Are the whole stands just watching this? God, they are so covered in blood. That's that's what I got from the fight scene. It's a full-blown, genuine massacre. It is very graphic. And the Huntington football team are full-on murdered mm-hmm. by our protagonists. That's canon. They kill while- people. The whole way through, the local teams, the Vikings, are at the back being like, oh no, oh my god, it's very funny. And then once they've killed everybody and the sprinkler comes on, don't worry, Jeff has been moved Oh yeah, to Jeff's, a Jeff's alive. I know you were all wondering. Yeah, no, everybody was worried. Hazel's mum then goes, oh my god, it's the pineapple juice, goes and runs around the corner and turns off the sprinklers at the tap. Which, you know, anyone I guess could have done that. Everything. No one needed to die here today. It could have just been that they left it ambiguous as to like, you know, did anything happen to these guys? I guess they someone got stabbed by a sword, so that's not good. But they, PJ and Josie are literally like, we killed a lot of guys today. Like, we will process that later, that we in <laughs> fact will be going to juvie. And we also get this sense of like some kind of cue ending for Josie and Isabel because there's an apology and there's Isabel saying you could have just talked to me, which I doubt considering that the first time we really see them interact is an absolute trash fire. And then when the principal says, will the untalented ugly gays come to the principal's office? Yeah. That Brittany's like, oh, I guess that's you guys. And Isabel does not say anything in their defense. So I'm like, I don't know how well it would have gone down, but I, I, I enjoy the fact that you're together and they get that little kiss on the football field. Aww. Mm-hmm. Aww. And there's the end of the movie. We did it. Apart from a load of outtakes, the outtakes of Ogre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can probably see, you can search them on the YouTubes, as the kids say. Is that? What the? Okay. Everything in this movie, every quote, I'll just be like, as the kids say, I fucked your mom. As the kids say. So we are now going to rate this movie. Our patented rating technology leverages the six bars of one of the versions of the rainbow flag. Each of those colours represent a general theme which we will assign to this movie. So red is for life or sex. Orange is for healing. Yellow is for sunlight. Green is for nature. Blue is for harmony. And purple is for spirit. Rowan, what are you giving it? Oh, good question. I think I might give it five. What one's it missing? Oh, I don't. Oh, now I've said. I think it's missing harmony. (laughs) <laughs> or is it missing healing? I feel like maybe there was zero. Maybe it was the opposite of it healing. It was definitely zero was healing. healing there was zero healing. In this. Um, yeah, I really, really liked it. I think it was. It's like 
such an unhinged movie in the best way and i feel like it's a real like we've seen the progression of queer teen movies and this feels like this end of an iteration of this style and i really appreciated how far it leaned into the absolute chaos of itself how about you where are you what are you doing how many bars this is the most fun that i've had watching a movie all year i think i really really loved this film and i want to give it six (gasps) then do it jazza you can you're allowed i'm giving it six Oh my god, thank you for enabling me. Yeah, obviously. Um, Yeah, I just thought that this was such a self-aware, wonderful romp. And also when I watched it in the cinema, it was a packed cinema. It was a young cinema. It really feels, like you said, a culmination of so many and is aware of and plays almost to a load of the things that have fed into this creation and builds on it to create something new and fantastical. Even though there are some kind of like plot problems, I really didn't care. Mm -hmm. Like there's plot problems in in other movies where I'm just kind of like a little bit, it kind of takes me out of it. I was never taking out of the the campness Mm -hmm. of this movie and I really appreciated it. I feel like it'll be such a fun double bill with But I'm a Cheerleader. Or I feel like there's so many different like options for double bills of like this movie with oh other like queer teen movies would be really fun. Or even doing something like this in Bodies, 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 like this kind of weird queer, like hyper violence, like as a genre, like it mm-hmm. feels like it has so many connections to other movies, even when, ones we've talked about before and ones that like exist outside of that, that it's just so fun to me that we have this. There is something I really feel like we need to come up with a name mm. for the character that Rachel Senot plays in every single one of these movies. Yeah. Which is kind of like an anti-manic picture dream girl. There's this new concept of like a nihilist nightmare goblin that yes. I think is her. That's who she plays in all of these movies. And I adore it. I adore it. I adore it. It was so, so, so good. Stunning. Thank you so much for listening, dear listener. If you enjoy these episodes, we ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. As a patron, you can join the Queer Movie Club where we do watch-alongs on our Discord every month, but that is just the bare minimum of what we will provide you. At higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with a curation of all the gay stuff that we found on the internet. Thank you once again to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us at the highest tier on Patreon. You, along with the rest of our supporters on Patreon and the Discord, help us keep this podcast going. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you are notified of our next episode. We have been Chasa John and Rowan Ellis. That's me. That's her. We are edited by Sparkles. Aww. Happy holidays. Toodaloo. Tis the season to be gay. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, (laughs) that's enough.